What do young chefs want these days? How are they coping? How are they surviving? We talked to Serene Mabey about these and other questions that are on the tip of the tongue. Welcome to Tip of the Tongue, a podcast on the Nitty Grits Network, where we explore the intersection of food and drink and museums. This is Liz Williams. Thanks for joining us today. I'm here with Serene Mabey, who is a young chef living in New Orleans, and he's not from here, but he has adopted New Orleans as his home. And right now, during our continued continued COVID hibernation, he is operating a pop-up called Dakar here at the Southern Food and Beverage Museum. Welcome, Serene. Thank you so much for having me and happy to be here. So tell me a little bit about how you came to New Orleans and tell us a little bit about your story of becoming a chef. I came to New Orleans... Um, 2016, um, after I graduated culinary school, I decided to visit back home because uh, I haven't gone. It's been like eight years. So during my trip in Senegal, I met this nonprofit organization called Giving Hope. I was introduced to Cliff, and he was friends with Chef Tori and Cliff, Cliff. Cliff Hall. Okay. So Cliff Hall, yeah, the part owner of New Orleans Fish House. Um. Then he had introduced me to Chef Tori. Next thing you know. Chef Tori McPhail. Yep. As executive chef of Commander's Palace. Um, and then I, you know, flew down to New Orleans and started working at started working at the big house, Commander's Palace. And you haven't been here ever since. You've still kept on your wanderings, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, prior to that, I'd never been to the South. So for me, it was an eye-opener. But something about the city that makes me that that I fall in love with, you know, it just reminds me of so much like Senegal, and it kind of brings back a lot of childhood memories. It almost feel like you know, I feel like I'm home. So even course of the years, I worked in different restaurants in different in different different cities, but some part of me just can't let New Orleans go. <laughs> <laughs> So how did you decide to do this pop-up? Before COVID hit, I was in New York City working for a two-mission-style restaurant called Drill Robichon. And I was working there. And then a few months working there, and then we heard about, you know, uh, COVID. And we were always freaking out what to do, what to do. And um, we got an email uh, can't remember exactly the month, and uh, we were all let go. Um, so they, you know, got rid of they fired everybody. Did they close up the restaurant? Correct. They closed the restaurant, and I had to ask myself, should I just stay in New York and you know just collect unemployment, or should I do something with the things that I know? And at that point, I knew that the only place I could see myself 
doing any sort of cooking is New Orleans. So I made an impulsive decision and just come back to the New Orleans. <laughs> so here I am in NOLA. So tell us about Dakar, the restaurant, or the pop-up. Exactly, pop-up, hopefully to be a restaurant soon. So when I came back, when I came to New Orleans, and, and I told myself, I want to create a concept that would give folks in New Orleans an experience that's completely different from what they normally what they normally have or, the, or what they normally see. And I thought about, you know, doing doing a concept called Dakar. And Dakar is pretty much, Dakar is the city of Senegal and also mean tamarind. So I tell myself, I want to do, I've always been inspired and want to do Senegalese, modern Senegalese food and using different technique and skills that I learned over the years. So came with Dakar, which is perfect because if you look at history, the Senegambia regions had arrived in New Orleans. So it's a big connection. So, um, and so much similarities in many different ways. So I started doing this pop-up um, at Southern Food and Beverage Museum. Prior to that, it was at, at a Bywater, a restaurant over there named Polly's. But folks in Uptown, since I started here, has been very supportive. And I'm very thankful that that has been allowing us to continue going. And we've been doing modern Senegalese food based, modern Senegalese food with um, different ingredients that had inspired me every week. And I'm trying to change the menu every week and trying to bring something different, distinctive and unique to New Orleans. And most folks out here are really enjoying it. So happy to, happy to be back. Well, you know, we do have a reputation for not caring where the food comes from, but just wanting to eat it if it tastes good. <laughs> <laughs> that's for sure. That's for sure. I mean, that's one thing I truly love about New Orleans is that if you look at uh, from working at New York restaurants in New York, Cleveland, um, even even Cali, um, New Orleans just the New Orleans palate is very similar to was African palate in the sense of spice. New Orleans could take, could, could take spice. And for me, that's, you know, that's my alley. I love things that taste good. Well, there's no, there's no secret about why the palates are similar. Right. Because we certainly, I mean, I, I've tasted your food and it right. tastes like, well, of course, it could have been invented here, you know. <laughs> <laughs> for sure, without a doubt, without a doubt, without a doubt. And anybody who doesn't understand that the food of New Orleans, with other influences, but right. certainly the food of New Orleans has enormous, enormous West African influences, has to just taste, say, a plate of red beans and rice made by somebody who's a native New Orleanian, right. and some food that you made, right. and they would taste that they're the same. And if they right. did it blindfolded and they didn't know who had cooked what or whatever, True. they would not be able to tell the difference. I agree. I agree. But I think the only huge difference that I would say, I mean, I think when it comes to spice level, mm -hmm. from Senegalese food to New Orleans, 
to Creole food or Cajun food, I think the spice level is definitely there. It's very similar in a lot of tents. But only thing that, but Senegalese palate, I tend to be much more tangy. We love much. We love tanginess. Then I don't think New Orleans like tanginess that much. Mm-hmm. You know, we definitely love spice. We love you know. We love salt. We love you know sweet. But Senegal has all those things, but they they love tangy because even tamarind that's the you know very tangy a, a very tangy ingredient. Mm-hmm. So what else besides tamarind is tangy that you think is kind of missing from our food? Um, I, I don't I'm not necessarily missing, but um, I think New Orleans you know they use a lot of acid. Senegal use a lot of limes mm-hmm. into their cooking a lot because you know we're around the coast and we have a lot of seafood. And I just think seafood and acidity just go well together. And spice, you know, you can't beat that, you know. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, New Orleans definitely have that connection, has that similarity. But it, over there, the spice is still a little bit higher. Oh, I, I think that's <laughs> probably true, yeah. So, yeah. but yeah, but, you know, I, I just think is is room for folks out here to, they could easily adapt to that to that palate easily. Yeah. I mean, I think that we are American, so we have have a dampened palate because of that. Right. And if you're going to eat hamburgers and things like that, you're not going to eat a spicy hamburger usually. True. Um, But we also did do a nice spicy version of fried chicken um, Mm. when Popeye's, you know, went around the country and then later around the world Mm. letting people have a sense of the taste of Louisiana in a way that um, you can't really get from a cookbook. Right. So, you know, you're in Seattle or you're in Minnesota or right. someplace like that, and if there's a Popeye's, um, you're going to taste a little bit. I mean, it's bringing Louisiana to you mm. and in a way that, is different from trying to cook something from a cookbook, even if it's a famous chef's cookbook. Right, um, I agree. And so I, I think we've we've tried, mm-hmm. but in Minnesota they probably sell more um, mild fried chicken mm. than spicy. Wow, okay, so, that's fair. I could, I, th- I think like every every city has a level of spice that they take, and that's just like it's just something that people or what people are used to. Mm-hmm. Over time, you know, right. And the younger you are, when you start eating something that's spicy, I think the more tolerant you are of I agree. it. I agree. And it's really hard to be forty and eat it for the first time and say, "Oh my God, this is wonderful!" Because <laughs> what you're going to say is, "Oh my God, <laughs> this is too spicy." Yes. Uh, and I think that's the other thing. That's the other thing too is that uh, that I also trying to watch out for is that you know you want to taste something knowing the fact that you are tasting something, not not is power with spice. Right. It so has to it exactly. has to not kill your taste buds. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You just have to have it just have to have that right balance between the two. And then even you know, even for me as a young cook, I'm still learning. And then I one thing that I um I like about the Carnola is that it's not a restaurant and I don't like the concept of a restaurant. Um and people always give me feedback and we take it, you know, we don't, we don't, we don't get any frustration. We don't, it's, it's no frustration if people come and tell us how they feel, what their thoughts are. And that's what we want because we want to give them what they want. 
So in other words, you don't say, that's the way I cooked it, so you better <laughs> eat it. <huh? laughs> no, honestly, no. I, honestly, it just, you know, most of the time, when, you know, because one thing about New Orleans that I really love is that most folks out here has different background when it comes to food. So their palate is very different from one another, you know. Mm-hmm. So getting these feedback from different guests allow us to do better food and i just think that as a chef as a young cook uh, you know we only have a job because people are paying for it so you have to give people what they want well you know that um in in new orleans we all recognize gumbo right and we all know that the best gumbo is either your mother's or your grandmother's that's for sure (laughs) and so when people say, where do you get your gumbo or where's the best gumbo? Nobody ever gives the name of a restaurant. I mean, that just doesn't (laughs) happen. (laughs) Yeah, I can agree with that. But in growing up, you eat everybody's gumbo and you appreciate it and recognize that it's gumbo. Mm. So everybody gets used to it being a little different and has a little family twist or whatever. Mm. And I think that there is something very unifying about that because Mm -hmm. I still know it's gumbo when you make it or when the person down the street makes it Mm -hmm. or whatever. And I don't say, what's this? I still know it's gumbo. gumbo. Right. And um, what's interesting to me is when people, let's say your family from New Orleans moves to some other place. Right. So the only gumbo you've ever eaten is the gumbo that your family makes. Right. And it might be really wonderful. It, right. It's not that I'm mm-hmm. bashing the gumbo. Right. But you haven't had the experience of eating everybody's gumbo. Right. And and appreciating the fact that it can all be different. I agree. Um, when I was in the Army, I, I uh, was in the JAG Corps, and okay. so when I was in school, there were some other people from Louisiana in the JAG school. Okay. And we used to all get together. And every weekend, a different one of us made gumbo. gumbo. Wow. And that was a real eye-opener for everybody. We made it so differently, <laughs> you know. And and one of the, the men, he, he didn't make his own gumbo. He had his wife make gumbo. Okay. But anyway. <laughs> um, uh, but she put chicken hearts and... Okay. Um, dried shrimp and all Mm. kinds of, I mean, it was wonderful. It was Mm. really, really good, but it didn't taste like gumbo made with chicken and andouille Mm. and, and, you know, yeah, all of that. So it was just totally, totally different. And, um, and it just really gives you an appreciation of the richness of it. And I think that's, that's, something that we all can we can all share and the other the other story and then i'll Mm -hmm. shut up and let you talk (laughs) um but a friend of mine and i did an experiment okay and we got very dressed up i mean not not it was business clothes dressed up not not like to go out (laughs) at night and we carried a briefcase each of us all right and we went into one of the big high-rise office buildings downtown new orleans and we would get in and out of the elevator. And, you know, um, 
the etiquette in the elevator. You stand and you face the door. Right. Or if there are lots of people and you're in the back, you look at the head, right. the back of the head of the person in front of you, you know, that sort of thing. And you don't really have big conversations right. or anything. So we would get into the elevator and we would usually be the last people into the elevator and we'd turn and face the doors and then we talk to each other and say, no, I think the best po' boy is there. And she would say, oh, no, you're wrong. It's over here. And we hadn't gone, you know, 20 feet, maybe 10 feet in the air. And everybody in the elevator was talking to us about <laughs> where they thought the best po' boy was. And, you know, abandon all etiquette. Just like we're talking, wow. you know. And it didn't matter who was in the elevator. You get into the elevator with the janitor who's going from floor to floor with the mop bucket, you right. know, on those little right. wheels and right. everything. We did it in the in the elevator. Like one time, uh, I remember the, ele- the, the janitor was in the elevator and he said, you should wait and take the next elevator so you're not in here with me and the mop. And we said, oh, no, we got in the elevator. <laughs> and we started with, oh, I don't think you know anything about Po' Boy. So we started talking. <laughs> and we, we were getting, you know, more and more raucous <laughs> as the day went on. And wow. this this man joined in, too, you know. Wow, that's like, awesome. You know, that's it awesome. Was, and I thought, this is the great leveler. Everybody mm. has an opinion about our food. Nobody thinks that their opinion isn't as good as anybody else's. Right. I, I love that about the city. I mean, that's one thing that I really truly uh, love about New Orleans is that sometimes you don't, you don't, most of most time you don't go for a rat. You don't go out. You don't go f- into a restaurant expecting everything on the menu to be that you, you would like to get satisfaction. Mm-hmm. Every restaurant has something that you really love, and that's one thing. I, that's one thing I love about New Orleans, which is the reason why you could be dining so many restaurants within the course of a week because each restaurant has something that they like. That's that's what they're good at, you know. Mm-hmm. So I, that's one thing I really truly love about this city, though. Yeah, I, and I, I think there's a lot of variation, and there's a, a serious appreciation. And people go to a restaurant for the food and right. not to be seen. They don't care if it's a dive or anything like right. that. They want it because it has good food. food. Yeah. I love that. And, and that's one thing, too, is that because, like, you know, if you look at California, for example, I feel like most restaurants versus New Orleans, New Orleans want that experience because of the food where over there they have these exotic restaurants where it's, the ambiance, the wine is good, you know, all that is amazing. But here is just that we just want good food. You know <laughs> yes. what I mean? <laughs> so if the ambiance is amazing, the service is awesome, but if the food is terrible, you people in the walls, yeah, people in the walls won't support it. <laughs> right. But some restaurant in New York or or somewhere in California, you might have a bad experience when it comes to food, but you love the place so much, you love the wine selection, you you know, it just that might make you want to go back versus New Orleans. If your food is not good, but there's baby, nothing baby, you, you can do, go, baby. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so so that is that is that you know that is that about the city. Okay, so tell me why are you only doing your pop up once a week? Um, mainly is because um, I think is right now if you got you got to be realistic with yourself as a cook or as a chef that um, New Orleans right now is don't have much of a tourism tourism, so only locals are the ones supporting restaurants. 
and and locals are also eating at home. Exactly. Yeah. Considering yeah, considering the fact they're eating at home and so many restaurants that they would like to visit. So I think it only makes sense right now to operating uh, one day a week and do um, small operation of numbers. And so in that way, to change the menu, so is exciting for us. Um, not a lot of work for us, but we would like to open five days a week if we can. But if you open five days a week, knowing the fact that we only be serving a few people, is, th- is it really worth it? Mm-hmm. And you have to really do, the, do your numbers if it really makes sense. Mm-hmm. So what really makes sense as of right now is one day a week. And also, it's a chance that some people now, every Saturday, look forward to that. Mm-hmm. You know, every Saturday, oh, Dark Art on Saturday. So I like that, you know. So mm-hmm. we have some folks that, you know, um, handful that has ordered from us at least six, seven times. Mm-hmm. So for me, is I'm glad to see that. I'm not talking about once or twice, but at least six, seven times, you know. So that just tells, that just tell us that people really liking it. So... So tell me a little bit about some of the other plans you have. Mm. So as of right now, uh, additioning to doing a pop-up on Saturdays, uh, we are planning to do a chef collaborations with different chefs in New Orleans. Um, and reason why we are doing the collaboration is to show folks that West Africa cuisine needs to get recognized like just like just like any other cuisine it's like the french just like the japanese just like the mediterranean you know all these all these great cuisines and i feel like me as a young cook that worked for all these fancy restaurants in the past i could do modern senegalese food that could also be connected with different chefs cuisine and how can i collaborate the two mm-hmm. and i think uh we picked this um variation of different chefs that um, that really would make the Carnola. What would really make sh- or what really show folks that the Carnola cuisine is really could be fine anywhere else. You just have to open your eyes. And from like uh, for this coming up week on uh, on September twenty second, we'll be doing a collaboration with Margie Grail, um, followed by Ken. Uh, he chef Hugh uh, at Ken, which is very different from Margie's. Mm-hmm. And then you have um, followed by uh, Michael Glada. We're going to be doing um, Willie Mays, um, Turkey and the Wolf, Obscure Supper Club, American Beauty Show with Nina, or Chef Nina Compton. And all these great restaurants, they're all very different from one another. And this, the idea is that I get to learn from them as a young cook. Um, see how they operate or build a relationship, um, seek for their advice, and also a chance to show folks that these two cuisine can merge to one and give you good experience. Because as of right now, one thing that I really come to understand is that no one can really travel. So what if, if you create something that people will be looking forward to? So And the chance is getting something different without taking a flight <laughs> <laughs> so that, so that was that was my thought behind that as well and also something that would be fun for the chefs because you know like i said it's not many restaurants it's crazy busy um so uh most of these chefs look forward to doing these collaborations so am i and it's going to be amazing things because it's going to be amazing thing because they able we are, we are able to connect and share our cuisine together with people that support us and people that support them and 
bring them together. And that's one thing that Miss Leah Chase um, has told me when I first met her was, you have to go out there and connect. And for me, every day, I sit down and think what that really means. So, yeah. And so you're saying that that starts next week. Yes, yeah, it starts next week at Margie Grails on September 22nd. And so how can people learn more about it? Um, some of these pop-ups will be held at at the Southern Food and Beer Museum, and some of the other pop-ups will be held at um, the other chef's restaurant. So is so best way to find out will be following the Carnola. The Carnola, okay. Um, um, you can find us at yeah, the Carnola Instagram, um, Facebook, and um, through Instagram you can see all the information that what the Carnola is up to. We uh, we update it often, and it's strictly business, so you get to see what the Carnola really up to. So you come in there, you know, oh, the Carnola's up to this, and every week it kind of changes. So it's like. Hey, you you here this week? You here that week? So you don't you don't have to feel like you got to you know like I said earlier, and that's one thing. That's the other thing too that I, is that if I could create something that you could get in only in West Africa, if I bring you here, I'm saving you a trip, right? You know, and also a chance to because most folks that would go to uh, West Africa. Any country, let's just say Senegal, for example, and you go in there and they serve you some a super kanye, which is very equivalent to gumbo in New Orleans. Um, you might be afraid to approach it because our we don't care about presentation. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think New Orleans does, but in a certain degree they do. Um, so back home is all about the flavor. Um, we never have to ask what, what you're cooking. You just smell it. You know it. Mm-hmm. You know, so you just know exactly what's being cooked. So um, I think for me, doing a pop-up will also give folks a little bit of understanding that what is Senegalese cuisine slowly and slowly. And I'm like slowly bringing in those flavors and, you know, you know, giving them a chance for them to understand more about Senegalese cuisine. And eventually, you know, it will be all out. You know, it, it won't be no more helping back. But you're not doing it by explaining it you're making people taste it exactly and i think that's the other thing too is that growing up as a kid you know for us we as a young kid five six good food if you taste it you know it's good and that's something that you know i feel like everyone around the world knows good food or bad food and i just feel like for me it's like we were saying earlier you have to adapt a certain flavor before you before you really enjoy it so i just can't come cook Super Kanye or Senegalese uh, style of gumbo and make it so spicy where they're not going to even enjoy it. Mm-hmm. It's funny Funny enough, um, last year I was in Senegal and I did an event for um, uh, um, some folks from uh, Cincinnati, I believe. and They were visiting Senegal? Exactly, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was doing an event for them. And I did one event at the city. I cooked for them. The other event, I told them that you're going to have to go to the countryside in my dad's village, and we're going to serve you a uh, benedictine, which is like a one-pot mm-hmm. uh, rice concept of dish, very similar to uh, jambalaya, people in New Orleans will, will say. Um, we had to make two pots, one for, one for us, <laughs> literally, literally, <laughs> and then one for them. And for me, I understand both culture just kind of equally, equally enough. 
I was able to take steak pot and I'm like, well, okay, this is good. I was able to take steak pot. I was like, wow, that's good. That's a little spicy, you know? Mm-hmm. I'm in between, but for them, they really, really enjoy the pot of benedictine we made for them. But for folks that's from Senegal, when they taste that pot, they're like, wow, this has no flavor. <laughs> it's, it's, no, it's, not, it's, it's like, wow, these people don't like nothing. No, and it's crazy because, but like I was saying earlier, is adapting to that thing. And that's when I really knew that you know, even at doing this cooking thing, I'm like, you know, I'm not caring for my people. In a sense, I am to a certain degree, but not 100% because I want other people to also to be adapting to our food. So that is also um, something that we're trying to strive for. Well, I think that that has been something that people all over the world have had to do is adapt their food to the local environment. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you eat Chinese food here, that's the typical thing, mm-hmm. example. It's not like the food in China. China. So, you know, and I've had American food in other places. Wow. And it's awful. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you know, you're like, 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 I mean, that's a good example. I remember being in Europe, like being in Europe, you know, because I was in Europe for at least about five months last year as well. Um, Something about like they they styles trying to make a burger. I mean, this is just, it's just not the same. Like you know, it's just <laughs> this is a American burger. You know, it's it's completely not the same. You know, like you know, and, and how can you try to eat a burger? You know, trying to think about the health. You know, like oh, I'm you know I'm gonna put extra lettuce and tomatoes. People here, they just they want cheese. They want they want to write. You know what I mean? Blue cheese, um, uh, curl onions, everything. But over there is like you know a lot, lot of places that I saw in Europe that you know they kind of. It's like if you're gonna make like now like one thing I like about us here in America is that if you're gonna make a burger, make a burger, mm-hmm. and you might can. not eat it every day. <laughs> God no. <laughs> but if you're gonna yeah, eat, you're gonna it, eat, eat you're it, right. eat it right. It's, yeah, you know. And I think I kind of feel the same way. It's like I don't, I don't eat burger at all. But when I do, I'm gonna eat it. You know, because mm-hmm. I know it's gonna be a long time before I actually eat it again. But when you go to Europe, where it's like this is not burger, or, or you know, but that's a good point. Like that's a good point that you said. You know, when you when other people go to different country trying to bring their cuisine, they have to find a way. They gotta find that middle ground. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And then you can kind of push people a little bit exactly. after you've kind of gotten the hook in them. You exactly. Know? Exactly. Yeah. And I think after a while too is that uh, most folks were be accustomed to that flavor. They'll know. They'll they'll understand what that tanginess really means. And that's, and other thing too is that. We, in Senegal, we cook mostly Benedictine style. But when we serve it, it's so many different flavor of sauces going around the table, going around uh, in the bowl. But you have to know when to eat it, mm-hmm. which is something that eventually I would be introducing to folks. Because, you know, we have, um, you could be having three different spices in the same bowl. And each single one are very different from one. Mm-hmm. One could be like mild spice, one could be super spicy, one could be acidic and spiced together. And each single one of them is meant for a certain thing. And because we grew up eating that way, so we know how to how to move around how to move around throughout the hour throughout that one bowl. Mm-hmm. You know? So mm-hmm. trying to find that common ground. Yeah. Well, thanks for being with us today. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me. Uh, this was real fun. And I hope people enjoy from this, enjoy this conversation and hope to see them at the Carnola. 
I hope so too. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for listening to Tip of the Tongue. We come to you from studios in the Southern Food and Beverage Museum in New Orleans. Please come by when you are in New Orleans, and don't forget to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. This is Liz Williams.